So what we want to do is we want to turn our attention uh, from the individuals surrounding Jesus' birth to Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to take a step backward, and that's in the text itself. We're gonna, we've been in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to take a step backward to Matthew chapter 1. But we also need to take a really big step backward in time. In fact, an eternal step backward. That's because John 1 gives us an important truth about the person of Jesus. John 1.1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When John says the Word, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. One of the things that I think we're tempted to think at Christmas time is that when Jesus was born into the world, that's when he came into existence, but that's not true. Jesus is what is called eternally pre-existent. He has always existed in heaven with the Father and with the Spirit. He's been there for all time, and He's been there for all time, for all of eternity, for one purpose, and that's to save humanity from sin. That's why He's always existed. That's always been God's plan for the redemption of humanity. And so, earlier this week, I was talking with another staff member about this, and uh, we had this image in our head of... Uh, a road trip with young children. Have you been on a road trip with young children? Let's pretend you've got a 10-hour drive ahead of you. You get seven minutes down the road, and that young child says what? Are we there yet? No, child, we're not there yet. It's a 10-hour drive. Four minutes later, are we there yet? No, it's been 11 minutes total. It's been 11 minutes total. We have this image, uh, and I know that it didn't work like this, but the son, knowing that He exists to save humanity from sin, and knowing what that's going to look like, being in heaven eternally, and watching the affairs of humanity on earth, and looking at the Father and saying, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Galatians 4.4 tells us that, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, to redeem, to save. And so Matthew chapter 1 starts in an interesting way. It starts with a list of names, 17 verses, 42 names. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And I can confess that most of the time when I think about the Christmas story, I skip straight over that part because who wants to read a list of names for four minutes? And so I'll start in Matthew 1 verse 18, but I think it's important to read these names, because I think they teach us something about God's divine pursuit of humanity. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just, I'm going to read through these. Here's what Matthew chapter 1 says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. If you were to look in your Bible, those 14 names would encompass all of the time included in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. There's hundreds of years there. 
And it's not as if humanity wasn't sinful during that time and didn't need some kind of savior. No, there was plenty of sin. In fact, if you read the opening portion of your Bible, you'll find that there's enough sin to go around for everyone. And it's as if the son is sitting there next to the father in heaven saying, is it time yet? Is it time yet? The father says, not yet. It's not time yet. There's also something really interesting in the first 14 names of the genealogy of Jesus. And that's that there are four names in there, four individuals, actually all women, who are not Israelite. That's because God's divine pursuit is for all, and it's actually built into the genealogy of Jesus. Two of the individuals are Canaanites. One is a Hittite, and one is a Moabite. Right there in the lineage of Jesus, a picture of the fact that when the Savior comes, He's not just coming for Israelite people, for Jewish people. He's coming for everyone. But by the time David was king, it wasn't time for him yet. And so the genealogy goes on. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Those 14 names are all kings. You can find them in the Old Testament in the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You see, the Israelite people thought that a king would be what would ultimately save them, that a king would provide protection and would bring a kingdom that would come with prosperity and ex- extended land, and that they would be this triumphant kind of temporal earthly kingdom thanks to the ruling of a king. And yet, that's not what happens at all. In fact, those 14 individuals and a host of other kings actually lead the Israelites further and further away from the Lord and deeper and deeper into sin. But the sin of those individuals wasn't enough to thwart God's plan. It's similar to what we saw when we looked at King Herod in the birth story of Jesus. It's that God's divine pursuit cannot be stopped. It couldn't be stopped by the sinfulness of a king. It couldn't be stopped by the infanticide of Herod can't be stopped by any single person. God's divine pursuit marches on. And the last 14 names here are actually names that aren't familiar in our Bible. It's because they came in a time known as the silence period, 400 years after the book of Malachi to the birth of Jesus, in which God no longer spoke. No prophets, no more scripture. And so these 14 names come up. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. 400 years of nothing from the Lord. No revelation, no prophet, no voice of the Lord. And when and if he spoke again, you better believe that that was going to elicit worship in the Jewish people. Because that's what God's divine pursuit does. It, it invokes worship. It leads us 
to worship. And yet, ironically, when Jesus is actually born, most people miss it. Most Jewish people miss it. About 4,000 years, that's how long of human history before the birth of Jesus. 4,000 years of waiting. During Advent, we spend about 30 days waiting. We're preparing our hearts for the birth of Jesus. For the Jewish people, they waited 4,000 years for the arrival of a Savior. In this service, we spent about four minutes listening to a list of names waiting for it to be over. And you can, it's fine if you admit that because it's a long list and I understand that. And it's not very exciting. But what is exciting is what starts to happen after Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, who is the Christ. Because in everything that we've looked at thus far, as well as in Luke chapter 1, it's like the universe starts to prepare itself for the birth of a Savior. We're told in Luke chapter 1 that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, is carrying John the Baptist in her womb when she comes into the presence of Mary, the mother of, Joseph, or the mother of Jesus, who's carrying Jesus in her womb, and that John the Baptist leaps in her womb. Babies are jumping for joy because the Savior is coming. Angels are appearing to humans in dreams because the Savior is coming. A star rises in the east because a Savior is coming. Angels are appearing to shepherds in a field because the Savior is coming. It reminds me of the royals a little bit. Go with me here. Over the last couple of years, when you've been watching a game and were clinging to a very small lead late in the game, you didn't always understand what Ned was doing. Because we all knew who was lurking in the bullpen, Wade Davis. And yet there it was in the eighth or the ninth inning, and we've got like a one-run lead, and the other team is loading the bases. And you're thinking to yourself, why is he not going to get Wade Davis? And then all of a sudden... Ned would slow trot out of the dugout and your heart starts to race a little bit because you know he's going to get out there and he's going to do this. And in from the bullpen is going to trot Wade Davis and everything's going to be fine because check please. Here comes Wade. It's like in this moment, the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, has arrived and God the Father looks over at God the Son and says, Check, please. It's time. Nothing is going to stop it. It's for all people. Nothing can come against it. It's time to go and save, to redeem humanity. And in this is what Matthew 1.18 says. This is where I normally start the story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 4,000 years of waiting. And then all in one moment, God's divine pursuit 
finds its fullness in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's great news that's going to be for great joy for all people. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. And it's going to bring people to worship. That's why we gather together on Christmas Eve every year. Because we're going to spend a little bit more time preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus. We're going to spend a little bit more time preparing ourselves for tomorrow morning when we wake up. Because when we wake up, what we want it to be about on Christmas Day is about Jesus, not about all of the other stuff. I recently went to a toddler's birthday party. You know what the toddler said to me right upon walking in the door? Yeah, the toddler said, hey, tell me happy birthday. <laughs> like, let's not be confused about why it is that you're here right now. Tell me happy birthday. When you wake up on Christmas morning, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let's not be confused about why December 25th is a big day. It has nothing to do with anything that's under the tree. It has nothing to do with anything cultural. And it has everything to do with the fact that Jesus was born. And he shall save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is all about. If you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you might be sitting here asking yourself, why is it that these people get together and do this every year? Maybe it's just a nice tradition that you and your family take part in. Maybe it's just something you feel like you have to sit through so you can do the other more fun things at Christmas time. You just feel like you've got to donate an hour of your life to this and then you can do everything else that you want to do. If that's the case, then December 25th is no different than the other 364 days on the calendar. It's just another day in the middle of a cold Midwestern Christmas or winter. You see, but if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you understand that December 25th gets all of its meaning and all of its glory and all of its joy out of the fact that the baby in the manger, born at the perfect time to save humanity from their sins, went on to live a sinless life did what humanity could not ever do for itself in that he fulfilled all of the law perfectly. He never sinned one time, and yet he was sentenced to death on the cross through no fault of his own, despite no wrongdoing of its own. He goes to the cross, and in that moment, all of the sin and the weight of all of the sin of all of human history, present, past, future, is laid upon his shoulders, and he dies. He's placed inside a tomb, and they close it, and they seal it off. But on the third day, he walks out triumphantly, conquering the power of sin and death. And sometime later, he ascends into heaven, and he rules, and he reigns there. And now, anyone who places their faith in him is given his righteousness, and stands clean and pure before the Father. And that makes December 25th a blessed day. Because God's divine pursuit of humanity found its fullness in the birth of a baby boy who would save his people from their sins. That invokes worship. That cannot be stopped. And that is for all people. We want to spend a little bit more time in worship this evening. So if you would stand, the band's going to lead us in a couple more songs.